Kreusor, welcome to Recovery Now Radio, which is brought to you in conjunction with Adveriad Recovery and Living Room Cardiff. Adveriad Recovery is a registered charity offering specialist support to those with co-occurring substance misuse and mental health conditions. Living Room Cardiff provides ongoing support and aftercare as a community-based recovery centre that has an all-addictions approach, including gambling, alcohol, drugs, both prescribed and illicit, sex, eating disorders, gaming, etc., or any other harmful behaviour. We welcome anyone who needs confidential support in taking those first important steps towards change and recovery. Family members and friends are also catered for. For further details, please see the Adveriad Recovery website, www.adveriad.org.uk and www.livingroom-cardiff.com. Thank you so much. Welcome to Recovery Now Radio. Let's recover together. Persecution, you must be. Win and lose, you've got to get your share. Got your mind set on a dream. You can get it. The hardest may seem now. Recovery Now Radio, coming to you from the living room and our very out. Welcome to Recovery Now Radio, coming to you from the living room and Adveriad. My name is Joe, and our guest today is Chip. Welcome, Chip. How are you today? I'm in very good shape, thank you. Well, not good shape, but I'm in good form. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you've very kindly come in to talk to us today about your addiction issues. Sure. Um, but before we do that, I want to get straight into your first song, which is The Beast in Me by, by Nick Lowe. Why did you choose this one? It absolutely epitomizes addiction and my addiction and how I was able to come out from time to time and uh, put on a good front. But actually, all the time lurking within is this beast that still continues to lurk inside me. And uh, I, I find it completely exemplifies addiction for most practically everybody. Yeah. And I, I, I've always loved the song. And I just it's just, yeah, I love it very much. Let's see what it's like. Yeah. God help the beast in me. The beast in me has had to learn to live with pain. And how to shelter from the rain And in the twinkling of an eye Might have to be restrained 
God help the beast in me. Sometimes it tries to kid me that it's just a teddy bear, or even somehow managed to vanish in the air. Then that is when I must beware of the beast in me. That everybody knows. They've seen him out dressed in my clothes, patently unclear. If it's New York or New listening to recovery now radio let's recover together that was the beast in me by nick Lowe. chip um i've had a little look at your uh, brief that you sent us um with regards to your story and your addiction problems during your life first of all i'd like to take you back to your childhood if that's okay yeah that's where we um, yeah and to, to discuss your time in a boarding school and what happened to you there would that be okay if you told us a bit about that Absolutely fine. I come from a seemingly very privileged background, although within that household there was a lot of very odd stuff going on. And I was sent away to boarding school at six and three quarters without even knowing where I was going. And during my time there, I was sexually abused by uh, my piano teacher. But the bizarre thing was that by that stage in my life, I was already used to being abused by a member of my family. So it just continued a process of kind of crossing my sexual boundaries that uh, had been there all the time. And and it, I kind of everybody knew. In, I think in those days it was probably much more common. I don't know whether it is, but it certainly was something that at the time caused me a lot of conflict. And I think had had a much bigger on, impact on my life than I like to imagine. And I'm absolutely sure it's one of the factors that led to future addiction. Yeah. It was absolutely. very traumatic. It was very traumatic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. As a, an abuse survivor and I'm in recovery myself, I can totally identify with mm. that. And, and you mentioned feelings of being unworthy and unwanted. And I think those scars, like that, they carry through your life don't they? When you go through something like that, they go right throughout your life with you. Um, is that how you felt? Definitely. I mean, I th- I'm, I'm a great believer that kind of what happens to you in your first 15 years pretty much lives with you and forms you as an individual. And without doubt, at 15, I felt perverted because of all my sexual experiences. I hasn't yet got to terms with the fact that my responses were physiological responses rather than any desire to have them happen to me. I'd grown up in a household where you did not get touched or spoken to. Uh, you just didn't. I just was very, I did feel very unloved and I felt completely lost, very shy, lacking in confidence. 
and not in great shape, an absolute prime candidate for somebody to discover drugs. I left home as soon as I could. I didn't even go back home. I, I had a very, it was very odd. I got shipped up to, uh, to Neath for quite a lot of time to live with my grandparents because uh, there was, a, my, one of my brothers was mentally unstable and he was institutionalized at nine and never spoken about again. But I think just generally feeling absolutely no confidence. Not It wasn't just confidence, no sort of self. I know self-esteem is quite a modern term, really. And I, I think when I was that age, no, people wouldn't have known what I was talking about or I wouldn't have known what you were talking about. But there's no doubt at all that I, I came into that stage of my life just lost completely and feeling very very lonely and unwanted yeah it's really quite something that you're here talking to us about these things because obviously this radio station is sending out a message of hope across the world really and and it only takes somebody to to hear something for that seed to be planted so i just want to thank you about talking to us about those things we've just discussed i've Um, I've always sorry uh, i've just i've always found that once i've got I mean, I've done a lot of work on it uh, and I've done a lot of therapy on it, but I do find that by talking about it, people do feel more able to come forward. And I think yeah. the, the more that happens, the better. Absolutely. Just moving on to your next song now. It's yep. uh, Kareen Karina by Big yep. Joe Turner. Mm-hmm. Tell me about this song. This is uh, off a record called The Greatest Rock and Roll. Uh, It's a really, really old record, but it was bought uh, by my father. It was about the one good thing he did for me was buy this record from America. He traveled to America, came back with this LP, and it's always been my favorite album. And this is probably my favorite track from the album, but it always reminds me of my father. But all those, a good time in my life. Yeah. Excellent.
You're listening to Recovery Now Radio. Let's recover together. And that was Corrine Corina by Big Joe Turner. We're still with Chip today. And uh, we talked about some quite um, traumatic things before that song. Moving on a little bit, Chip, you you describe being introduced or, or introducing yourself to uh, substances and taking drugs to help the way you felt. Could you describe when you first started doing that for us? I started doing that as soon as I arrived in London after leaving school. And within about four days of arriving there, I hit London just before the summer of love and uh, people were starting to smoke dope. I was, I think it, it's clear that it was absolutely my choice to do it. I didn't feel under any peer pressure to do it. I wanted to find, I was inquisitive. I wanted to know what it was like. And of course, as soon as I, it was only smoking dope, but, uh, but as soon as I discovered what it was like, bang, I found something that quietened up the voice inside me, quietened that voice that said I was rubbish, just calmed me out completely. And I was, from that day onwards, I thought, this is, this is what I want to do. And uh, being the sort of person that I am, I thought, well, I, I'm not going to just do this on Fridays. I, I want to do this every day. And uh, so that's what I did. And uh, very quickly uh, discovered that there were other drugs that did it even better and quicker and stronger. And uh, within 18 months was uh, intravenously using heroin. And it was a quick, a quick uh, learning curve. Uh, but I, I just wanted that distance and, the sh- and and that voice inside me to shut up and uh and I found it in drugs and it was like to me I felt I'd found the key to life you know the yeah. way to the way to get through life is to you know and I had a I had a little bit of money at, at the time and so the first 18 months were quite good fun really as I said it was the summer of love the next year and it was quite enjoyable and all like all drugs, all drugs are great to begin with. I mean, there's uh, you'd be li- anybody would be lying if they didn't say that they weren't they, they weren't great to begin with. But then within two years, I was starting to feel really rough in the mornings, and then I was starting to realise that actually uh, there's a price you pay for this pleasure, and that price is feeling uh, starting to feel withdrawal symptoms, and then having to chase and tolerance building up and the habit getting bigger and everything and all the kind of things that go along with trying to find money because my money had run out so all the usual sort of behavior that goes along with trying to find the money for what it was what was at the time about 100 pounds a day you know a lot of crime wasn't a big moral jump for me was I'd been an acquisitive little thief all my life waking up every morning not having any gear having to graft and get some money together, feel good for about 20 minutes, and then the whole process starting all over again and, and, and kind of just trapped in a cycle that I could see no way out of. And uh, even though some sort of obvious things started to happen quite early on, I got arrested, all the sort of things that you would normally expect normal people to go, oh my God, I think something's going on here. For me, it did exactly the opposite. It kind of gave me kudos within my peer group. You know, oh, you know, Chip's been in court a few times. He's got out and, you know, just getting a bit of a reputation and enjoying that and enjoying the fact that I kind of developed a persona of being a bit of a badass and, you know, and uh, could take my drugs and knew where to get them. That sort of thing. I really, uh, I embraced that and, uh, Mm. 
you know, and I guess the next four or five years were kind of just plodding along, not working. Uh, but it started to, you know, there were things happening then that, as I said, you know, people died. There was a lot of heroin overdoses in those days in Piccadilly and Subway 4. Anybody familiar with working, uh, being an addict in London in the 60s and 70s? There were a lot of people dying. And it was, you'd think it would, I'd pay attention. I myself, you know, did the classic thing of uh, taking a mixture of drugs, not knowing, you know, do you want some drugs? Yes, please put the hand out don't care what it is just put it in my hand I'll take it and uh ending up on a life support machine for about four days and you know rather than think oh my god this is a real this is a wake-up call you know you've really got to do something here actually taking my medical discharging myself taking my medical notes down the dealer and going look what's happened to me look at my drama could I have some free gear please uh so kind of nothing was getting through to me nothing was kind of because by that stage I don't know I've been at it eight ten years that was part of the you know it, that felt like part of the kind of the game part of the drug game part of the drug war that you had to keep going and doing that sort of thing and uh and you didn't give it you didn't sort of pay attention because that was happening to everybody you know yeah. it wasn't wasn't unusual to go around how, where's Anne? Oh, she died last night. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Got any gear? You know, it was just, it was the normal red flags that I think sensible people would have paid attention to. I didn't. And as a result, just drifted further and further away from the center of society and was now becoming the sort of people that I see nowadays. And I can tell from 200 yards, you've got an addiction problem. Uh, but at the time, I thought I couldn't understand why people didn't want to let me in their shops and didn't want me uh, to, you know, didn't trust me. I couldn't understand it. What's what's wrong with you? But um, lost all awareness of what I came across like and yeah. the fact that I was covered in blood or whatever. Yeah. It sounds like that very much became your normality. But um, before we, we talk about what happened as a result of that and what happened with your relationships and things like that afterwards. Um, let's play your next song, which is Let the Heartaches Begin by Long John Baldry, is it? It is Long John Baldry. Long John Baldry uh, used to attend a club I used to go to in Queensway, and he offered me a brandy to sit on his knee, and uh, one of the best brandies I've ever had in my life. Uh, I've always loved this song. I loved his voice uh, before, and I've always thought he was an underrated I thought he didn't quite get the credit he deserved, but I loved, I've always loved this song, yeah. I can hear the guitar start to play And very soon they say I was a fool to my love away And with each glass of wine I feel there is
listening to recovery now radio let's recover together and that was let the heartaches begin by long john baldry wow chip you gave us so much information um just before that song and um, you talked about not being a, a part of society eventually and the progression of your mm-hmm. drug taking um in your um bio that you sent to us you you talk about your lowest point being when you were homeless for several years could you describe yep. some of that to us please uh yeah sure i mean uh in those days i think in in the time i was uh using it was quite easy to find squats so homeless street homeless i should think probably for about a month but uh lots of derelict buildings they were rebuilding the whole of west london it was very very easy to find places to sleep and uh, places with roofs without a home for sure as i said street homeless only for about a month but hostels sort of uh when i say hostels i mean sort of seven seven to a beds to a room type thing and you're out in the morning at nine o'clock and uh but a lot of derelict buildings a lot of squats which was that was very common in those days but nowhere really secure or safe and uh, and never had that actually until i got uh, into recovery but it was it just made you feel separate from everybody else it just made everything feel like hard work and you know and it was you know i can see now in retrospect it was all of my own doing however again that was kind of it wasn't unusual the fact that you know people were living in, i can had i had a beautiful squat once in notting hill gate that i think uh, the Beckhams eventually bought, but um, not when I was living in it. But uh, I mean, we had there were so many empty properties. It wasn't difficult to find somewhere to to put your head down that was safe and dry. Whether there was good plumbing or not was a different matter. Uh, that was a different thing altogether. But I can remember once uh, uh, I, I found this derelict building underneath the Westway, and uh, one of my um, people I knew said are you okay for someone to live I'm like yeah sure no I've got somewhere to live I'm fine I've got you know and I had to crawl through this little hole in the concrete to get into the side but once you were in lovely big rooms it was a lovely place and we just sort of used the floorboards for firewood and used anyway it was it was it was a very kind of nomadic rough and ready lifestyle but you kind of got used to it everybody I knew did it so it didn't feel like oh my gosh what on earth are you doing because I didn't 
mix at all with people who who weren't doing that. I would mm. look at them in I would actually look at them and pity them. And I would think, look at you all off on off to off to your jobs, scurrying along, you know, working for the man. I was a great sort of soapbox socialist, you know. You know, I'm gonna I'm all right, I've got freedom, I'm I'm I know I can do what I want whenever I want. You know, you're all trapped in the kind of capitalist system and you know, and all that, and all I was doing really was just sitting on a bench waiting for somebody to come and give me a packet of gear and uh, and I had no freedom at all really because I was completely dr- trapped by my drug addiction and uh, yeah. uh, and, I, but, and I guess it's uh, all of this is further compounding your lack of connection completely disconnected completely and utterly disconnected yeah I mean really had moved from being in an incredibly privileged position right to the edge of society right to the edge where people we're literally, you know, not you can't come in here, you're banned from here, you're not allowed in this shop, don't come in this shop, you know, just absolutely on the edges of, of society and well known by the police, local police, when the local police know you by your Christian name, it's a bad sign, very bad sign. And, uh, you know, constantly getting uh, uh, kind of picked up and, you know, Again, criminal record building up, building up, building up, fraud, and you know, bit of lots and lots and lots of burglary, and and somehow getting away with it. Uh, well, not until you know, I didn't always get it. You know, there was a point when I didn't get away with it, but uh, it just felt like everybody I knew did it, and so it didn't feel extraordinary. We just created this little, I guess, a little gang or tribe of of users, and we all did exactly the same thing. So it didn't feel really really odd it only Mm -hmm. felt odd when you were in connection with normal people which didn't really happen that often in those days you could be homeless and still get benefits there was a queue called the nfa for no fixed abode and you could you could be homeless and still get benefits uh so yeah it just felt normal and that's what it was like uh you know and that whole kind of once a junkie always a junkie that was we all believed that you know and uh that was borne out by our experiences and so yeah but no very disconnected and no hope no hope yeah you know that's that's the key thing isn't it no hope and I, i'd like to talk to you a bit a bit more about that in a, in a second mm-hmm. but um if it's okay with you we'll play your next song which is handbags and glad rags by chris farlow what inspires you with this song Loved Chris Farlow. I think he's the greatest singer ever. And this particular song does represent a bit of a time when life wasn't too bad, but I've always loved this song. It always makes me sad, but I think he is a hugely underrated singer. Ever seen a blind man cross the road Trying to make the other side Ever seen a young girl growing old Trying to make herself a bride So what becomes of you, my love When they have finally stripped you of The handbags and the glad rags That your granddad's had to sweat So you could buy Bye-bye 
Once I was a young man and I thought All I had to do was smile Baby You are still a young girl and you bought Everything in style But once you think you're in, you're out Cause you don't mean a thing without The handbags and the glad rags That your granddads have to sweat to listening to recovery now radio let's recover together and that was handbags and glad rags by chris farlow we were talking about hope just now chip and or a lack of it and at one stage um you found yourself in prison for a, a period of time could you tell me a little bit about that and then what happened on your release uh yeah sure i mean that was just the general progression of trying to be a gangster and uh Eventually, having evaded uh, prison for years uh, when I should have been really got involved in a robbery with a gun and I knew it was going to go down, but actually looked on my appearance at the Old Bailey as kind of like the graduation. I had absolutely I'd become a proper gangster. I was at the Old Bailey and that was it. Anyway, got weighed off for three years. And um, I was really, really lucky in that my first night there, I was banged up with somebody who was quite powerful in the prison system. 
and they discovered that I could read and write and I had this kind of really sort of almost stereotypical kind of uh, I suddenly found a role for myself I was writing letters appeals and I managed to get through my prison time doing that kind of thing and uh, I I look back on it it probably saved my life Uh, if I hadn't been taken out of the system fed properly allowed to rest I don't think I would have been here I mean besides recovery that opportunity to be banged up for 18 months gave me a chance to kind of get my body back together again into some sort of shape but I didn't I did I was sort of protected throughout my time there and then on my release having thought about it I decided that drugs probably weren't the thing so I started drinking straight away and so once again find myself back on a bench in Nottingham Gate looking at everybody trotting along to work thinking you muppets look at you all with half a bottle of vodka in my pocket or a special brew or a super tenants, other strong lagers are available, I'm sure. All I wanted to do was just get ripped all day long. I just, what was I going to do? I had nothing, you know. So I had a daughter by this time. She was eight or seven, seven years old and uh, doing a lousy, lousy job of being a father. And uh, she, you know, had a very traumatic time as a result. But just not changing my lifestyle at all, not thinking, oh, my God, you've just been in prison. This is probably this is time to get your act together. Just going straight back within yeah. an hour to what I was doing before. Yeah. And, and you tell an interesting story about bumping into somebody that you knew who had told you that um, or who, who appeared to look much better than you remembered seeing him. He used the words to you. I stopped using and the words get help so how did that impact on you and how did you suddenly enable yourself to be able to get help well it wasn't like an epiphany but without doubt seeing him who I had lived in a squat with and I'd used with I knew exactly how bad he had been he looked amazing and Mm. so he kind of it wasn't an instant thing it was very challenging because as I said I was a soapbox junkie I knew everything and suddenly there was somebody who was saying I don't use drugs and my life got a lot better. So, but by this stage, I've been using for the best part of 20 years. And so the idea of change was incredibly scary. So on one hand, I kind of wanted it, but on the other hand, I was absolutely scared stiff of doing it. And so I spent six months sort of pondering about what I should do. And then uh, a friend of mine said that there's this rehab which they rehabs were just beginning to kind of be, they'd been around about four years. And in those days, again, incredibly lucky. I decided I wanted to get, have a, give it a go. And I rang up this place and they said, come in. And it was as easy as that. It was so easy. And I went to this rehab in Wiltshire and uh, I don't know why, but within four days of probably the, one of the worst detoxes I've ever been given, but that's another story. I don't know. I just sort of thought, I don't know what the future holds. It looks pretty difficult. It looks pretty peculiar, but it looks a lot better than where I've been for the last 20 years. So I'm going to give it a go. And from that moment, I've never used again. And I've never wanted to use again. And it was like a pivotal moment. And I know how lucky I am to have been wanting to get clean at a time when you could literally just walk into a rehab and get a place. And I know that nowadays that is not the case at all. 
basically rehab is for people with money now and that's it you ain't going to get rehab but it made a huge difference to me it gave me it gave me a structure for my life it introduced me to uh, self-help groups it introduced me to and i just came out and i was so excited about life i was just having friends people to talk to people who weren't going out on the rob every day people who just wanted to talk it was just it and it, it, there was a slight pioneering kind of element to it not everybody there were very few people getting clean i mean there had been a few concept houses which weren't very successful but people were beginning to get clean and how and we were i was having fun mm. i was doing things that felt fun and it that's what kept me going and i just threw myself into the recovery process and you know i kind of did pretty much everything i was told except not to have relationships of course but i mean other than that <laughs> i did pretty much what i was told and i started to really really love life it was such a contrast to my using and i wanted it badly yeah yeah and i guess that's the key you wanted it as well as needing it you wanted it i did yeah, yeah. I, w- I i yeah i really yeah i mean the old cliche you know you could have told me to do anything i'm not sure you could have told me to do anything but I, I really wanted to get clean, yeah. 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 Well, your next song is So Sad, the song by Gladys Knight and the Peps. Why yeah. did you choose this one? This song uh, was very representative of a very, very low point in my life when I was using. Um, it's a very melancholy song and it just represents the kind of loneliness I felt. Uh, but I've always loved it as a song. Um, and... Uh, but it was at a, it definitely representative of a bad time in my using. Yeah, I've listened to this a lot.
listening to recovery now radio let's recover together what a beautiful song that was so sad the song gladys knight and the pips so check wow you've taken us on such a roller coaster so far <laughs> some of the worst times of your life and um, and now we get to the good bit my favorite part recovery yep uh, and then you talk in your bio about um after rehab wanting to make recovery your next career um, tell us how you got there. I had been a very good student in rehab and I kind of liked group therapy and I liked and one of the therapists there towards the end of my time said this you've got a bit of a knack for this I don't know what it is but if I were you I'd think about eventually um, doing it as a career but before you do that go off and live life for a bit and so I went off and I uh, cleaned carpets for a year and learned all about life and uh, learned that cleaning carpets isn't the greatest job in the world. But anyway, it just got me out hard work. It made me realize I could be reliable, punctual, hardworking, all the things I never thought I was. And then and interacting saw- with people as well, I guess. Uh, yeah, well, oddly for a burglar, people would, uh, <laughs> I'd ar- I would arrive with my carpet cleaning equipment and they'd go, OK, see you in three hours. And then they would leave me in the house on my own, which for a burglar was a very strange experience. I, I mean, I would have a little rummage around, but I didn't I, didn't, I never stole anything. But I mean, it was just odd to be suddenly left sort of four months clean in somebody's house to, to clean the yeah. car. Yeah. So I did that for a year. And then I started volunteering and learning my craft at the same time, starting a degree course and uh, just learning everything that I should. And uh, eventually uh, started working in a rehab and uh, I've I've done that for the rest of my career in one form or another. I've done it for 36 years now and I've loved every minute of it. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I love seeing the change in people. I love helping people. I love I just it's one of the few places where you can really see the change in people so dramatically you you have to accept that uh, you know you're dealing with the fact that not everybody's going to get it, and a lot of people don't get it. But if you treat everybody, if you, I've got you know this quote that has always lived with me is you know if you treat an individual as he is, he will remain how he is. But if you treat him as if he were what he ought to be and could be, he will become what he ought to be and could be. And and I've always kind of lived my. Uh, life with that my work with that kind of thing treat people as if they have some ability and they've got some you know they've got a future uh and 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 i've loved my work i've absolutely loved my work and i've you know eventually having worked with other people i opened my own rehab and we ran that for 20 years in various neighborhoods and i loved doing that and that was very successful well not financially but it was very i was very proud of it as as a concept and I've just, I've just, I, I can't tell you. I just, I've loved every minute of my work. You know, I, I seem to have done all right at it, at it. and uh, 
it's just a brilliant opportunity to see people change and to use your experience to help other people. You know, that lived experience is so helpful. This is a condition that responds so well to being treated by people with lived experience. And mm. I, I try and use that as much as I possibly can. I guess, because I'm fairly new into recovery myself, um, right. but I guess seeing the lights come back on in people's eyes oh. must be so rewarding. It's incredible. I mean, you can see somebody literally on their knees walking or crawling into rehab. And then two months later, you can see them with their family, with hope. And hopefully, if you've treated them with respect and you've treated them with care, even if they don't get it the first time, if you've if you've shown them love and respect, they will come back to you and they will try again. The and seed has been planted, hasn't yeah, it? You know? Yeah, exactly. And uh, that's what's important. Not everybody's going to get it the first time. That's unrealistic. But the ability to see people who, and I still see, yesterday, somebody I had a rehab was 17 years clean, contacted me to say thank you. And God, that sort of stuff is wow. stuff of dreams. I mean, I never thought that I would be useful and mm. i i hope i have been in my career i hope i have been and uh um, well i've only met you today but i'm absolutely sure you have been thank but you. talking about usefulness uh after your next song we'll we'll talk about being more productive and being of service to others and things okay. like that if that's okay with you yeah sure but, but your next song is um, Wake Up Everybody by Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. Yes, this is, uh, I find it incredible that it is in my lifetime that uh, civil rights have only just become kind of law in my lifetime. It's incredible. And this was a song that kind of epitomised that great struggle that we will, we took up, we you know, we played our part in England as much as we could. Uh, Grosvenor Square riots and things like that, although that was against the Vietnam War. But, uh, you know, there was an awareness that we needed to make changes. And this kind of, this song was all about that kind of change that really needed to happen. Yeah. Wake up, everybody, no more sleeping in bed. No more back thinking, time for thinking ahead. World has changed so very much from what it used to be. There's so much hatred, war, and poverty. Oh, oh, oh. wake up all the teachers, time to teach a new way. Maybe then they'll listen to what you have to say. They're the ones who's coming up And the world is in their hands When you teach the children To jump the very best you can The world won't get no better If we just let it be na, 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 na. The world won't get no better We gotta change it now just you and me Wake up all the doctors Make the old people well They're the ones who suffer And who catch all the hell But they don't have so very long Before their judgment day So won't you make them happy Before they pass away Wake up all the builders time 
time to build a new land I know we could do it if we all lend a hand The only thing we have to do is put it in our minds Surely things will work out, they do it every time Just let it be The world won't get no better We gotta change it Just you and me You're listening to Recovery Now Radio. Let's recover together. And that was Wake Up Everybody by Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. Chip, we were talking about, like, wow, your own rehab, in particular, being of service to others. And what I wanted to ask you was, just because it's a particular interest to me, that I now feel uh, useful to people and more productive and my self-esteem is better. Mm-hmm. And, and I wanted to ask you, like, being of service to others, what has that done for you? It has just made me feel useful. It's made me feel, I feel it balances the books. Mm-hmm. Uh, for 20 years, I was a menace to society. I was absolutely produced nothing of any value to society at all. And I do feel that there is a debt to pay. I need to balance the books. And I have tried uh, through my career, through the things I've done with other people, other agencies, other places, to try and balance the book so that I can... It sounds a bit sort of pretentious, but, you know, I want to leave a legacy. I will be able to leave a legacy now that is very different to the legacy I would have left when I first got clean. I can leave a legacy that said this man was of some use and he helped some people. And that's really important to me. And it's important to my. The fact that my son is so proud of me and the fact that he's proud of my recovery, that really warms my heart. And uh, and it just, there's something about giving back what was given to me freely. You know, stuff was, and I, I, have a, I do have a bit of an opinion about people who just grab recovery and then disappear and you never see them again. I was given recovery because people went out of their way freely to offer me support and help. And I have a life and I owe that debt and I hope I keep on paying it and I hope I never forget that the reason I'm here today is because of the help of other people and I I want to continue that and it's 
it's given me so much self-esteem and confidence and and faith in myself and my ability and i enjoy it so much as well it's not doesn't feel like an arduous task i enjoy doing it yeah i think it's important to give back yeah absolutely obviously your your quality of life has dramatically improved dramatically improved yeah i was asked to write a list of things that i wanted uh, about a year into recovery and I wrote this list and I thought that is the stupidest list you've ever written in your life <laughs> because it said things like you know be married own a house you know uh, have a job travel do this have I mean the very first list I wrote said have a Sony Walkman that gives you an idea about where it was but you know eventually I wrote this list and I thought that is the stupid and I've achieved everything I wanted to do in life except see the northern lights Except for that, I've achieved everything I wanted in life. I've got a house, I've got a wife, I've got a beautiful son, I've got a daughter, I've got a great job, I've got, I've got everything I want. I've got everything the, I want. The message of hope is just there, isn't it? Oh, my God. I just, it's, and do you know what? I haven't had to, I mean, I've had to work hard. I've had to work hard, but using is hard work. You know, don't yeah. ever think that using isn't, you know, using's bloody hard work. You know, uh, you know, it's it's 12 hours of graph for about half an hour of pleasure. If you're lucky, uh, using's really, really hard work. So anybody who says, oh, you know, and it's just sit around. Doing it, they don't. They, they're at. I mean, maybe nowadays it's a bit easier. You just use a mobile phone. But I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think uh, uh, I'm really I'm 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 very very happy with my life and it's be I just it's like everything I've got in my life is seen, I knew I would have told you at some point there's no way that's happening there's no mm-hmm. way that you're going to be able to do that and it's happened and then something else I say well there's no way that's going to happen and then that's happened well mm. this isn't going to happen and every time I've said that it's always happened yeah i'm told it just keeps getting better it does and, uh, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and they're not wrong if you keep doing the work it does keep getting better it does keep getting better i'm a great believer in that and it, and my life still keeps getting better so uh brilliant yeah and, and what a message for everybody to hear you know that things can change your um, next song is gotta serve somebody by bob dylan tell me about this one well, you couldn't have a list of records without a Bob Dylan song. This is just one of thousands I could have chosen. Uh, I mean, he just has been so much part of my life um, and still is. I think he's the greatest ever artist and can't possibly include him, not have a list and not include him. Yeah, it would be impossible. Absolutely not. Yeah, thanks. Socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Maybe a rock and roll addict dancing on the stage. Money, drugs. Man or some high degree thief. They may call you doctor, or they may call you chief, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Yes, you are, you're gonna have to serve somebody. 
You're listening to Recovery Now Radio. Let's recover together. And that was Gotta Serve Somebody by Bob Dylan. 
how apt was that song? Just when we were talking about serving others, yep. <laughs> along comes Bob. <laughs> Perfect. Your story has just blown me away, Chef, to be honest with you. What an inspiration and how miraculous your turnaround has been. I wanted to ask you before we, I mean, we've got a, a little bit more to talk about uh, before your mm-hmm. last song. But I wanted to ask you about your relationship to other people and how has that changed since you've stopped using? Well, I can talk to them now. I can, uh, I'm can. i not looking at them to see what they could have or what they've got that I wanted. I mean, any mm. conversation I had with anybody when I was using, I'd be looking at what if, you know, you got a watch, you got a wallet, you're going to leave lying around. You, you know, it was like now I can actually talk to people authentically. My relationship with my daughter obviously has improved. Uh, she was obviously damaged by my behavior when she was growing up. I have an incredible relationship with my son, who is a gift of, uh, I mean, just true gift of life. But I just am able to be myself. I can, uh, I feel that I've got a kind of, uh, um, I just like being part of life. I like being, I mean, I live in a little tiny village here. Um, uh, we all know each other, and uh, but I need to get away sometimes and get a bit of activity and get a bit of city life. So I go to London for two or three days a week. I just find people fascinating. I love life. I love just, I, I mean, I never thought I would be every morning waking up. Thank God I've woken up again. I've got another day of life left, you know, I, I, and it's not been taken away from me in the night. I just love communicating with people and uh, and sh- and knowing that there's other people who share that same mad stuff that goes on inside our heads that there's other people who i can share that with and they will understand i mean there's people who live in this village if i talked about what went on in my, what went on in my head they'd think i was mad but <laughs> i can talk to you and me both <laughs> yeah I, I i i can uh I can go to a meeting, uh, which I'll probably do a self-help meeting later on this evening. And I know whatever madness is in my head, somebody will go, oh, God, yeah, I really, you know, I, I, I get that. I can. And it's lovely yeah. to have a place where I feel I belong and I feel I'm part yeah. of it and and belonging. I feel I belong, mm. which I'd never, ever felt before when I was using. I belong to a group of people who all used, but none of them were helpful. Or, they weren't. I'd call them my friends, but they weren't. But now I have genuine friends. I've got a little sort of secret army of probably about 10 people who I know I could call at any time, day or night, and they would be there for me. And I hope the reverse would be the case as well. And that's a lovely feeling. I mean, that yeah. from, from the loneliness I felt from when I was young throughout my using to a place where I know that I'm never alone. Um, I can be alone, but I am never alone. And I find that just, uh, I just find that lovely to be part of life, part of, part of, just part of this part of, part yeah. of, because we don't yeah. get along here. And I'm really noticing that, you know, <laughs> my time's ticking away and I love life and I want to be here for as long as possible. Yeah. So it sounds like a silly question, but do you like being you now? I love being me now. Uh, I, I really enjoy myself. I mean, I hated myself before, and, mm. and uh, but I, I'm all right. I'm okay. I've got my, uh, you know, I'm oversensitive and I'm impatient and uh, I'm probably a bit controlled. But I just, yeah, I'm all right. I'm not. It's not the end of the world if I'm oversensitive or that. 
I'm not an I'm not an unpleasant person. I don't think I'm an unkind person, mm. um, which is in sharp contrast to what I was like when I was using. So, and how I, wonderful is it to be able to say that as well? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, and 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 not feel that my father's was oh stop showing off, stop showing off. You know, yeah. uh, I'm all right. I've 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 I'm I'm an okay person. I'm a, I feel like I'm a nice person to know, and I'm kind to people as best I can be. Yeah. Excellent. You ha- you did say um, that you've slowed down somewhat. Can you tell us what you're doing at the moment? What's life like for you now? Uh, I run a podcast called Soberfall, which is there free for anybody who's in recovery. It's uh, uh, available online and uh, you can, there's about 150 episodes. I thought it was going to be about three episodes, but it's, it's gone on and on and on. And uh, that's available to anybody in recovery. So I do that, uh, which takes up a few hours a week. Um, I do a private practice in London uh, two days a week. And I do uh, sort of lectures and talks to universities and schools and things like that. But I suppose having worked full time for years for all my recovery, really, I now do probably three and a half days a week working. Mm. Um, But that's okay. I don't want to stop working. I mean, the podcast, which is, I think, a great tool for people in early recovery, is at www.com soberful s-o-b-e-r-f-u-l.com and there's 152 episodes there and you can pick and choose and there's all sorts of things about early recovery anxiety how to talk to people you know how to get over withdrawal all sorts of any everything any aspect about recovery you could think of trauma how to get over trauma how to yeah how to deal with things like that how to deal with the first 30 days it's free Anybody can listen to it whenever they want. And I think I actually, brilliant. I, yeah, I think it's quite a good tool for people. Yeah. yeah. So you're a pro at this then. You're, I, you can teach <laughs> us. <laughs> yeah. I've, well, I like, yeah, you know, you get trotted out occasionally to do things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, um, before we play your last song, um, I want to thank everybody for tuning in, um, all the listeners. I want to thank The Living Room and Adveriad for enabling us to be able to do this. Uh, but most of all, Chip, like what a privilege to be able to have met you today and heard your personal story. And what an inspiration for me, you know? I'm just 15 months in myself. Never, and, um... never, never, never say <laughs> just or only 15 months. Never say that. Because you yeah, 15 months is bloody brilliant. Don't yeah. ever, and, don't and, ever and, say and you know, just. Don't and ever you know say what? just. My life has only. changed like dramatically in the yeah. past year. And um, listening to you as just like, I was a bit tired when we came out. I don't know if you noticed earlier, I was a bit tired. Uh, yes, we did, yeah. But, um, but you've really inspired me today and I'm so pleased I got to meet you. Thank you yeah. so much. Okay, thanks. Your last song is, is it Le- La Mer? La Mer, La Mer, yeah. By Charles Trenet. Tell yeah. me about this. Uh, this is a song I've loved all my life. Um, it's going to be played at my funeral, but it's also uh, a nod to my wife, who's French, and uh, it just so happens that uh, it's a song I've loved all my life, but it'll be at my death as well. I love it. La mer des reflets changeants sous la pluie. La mer au ciel d'été confond ses blancs moutons. 
Avec les anges si purs, la mer, bergère d'azur infinie. Voyez, près des étangs, ces grands roseaux mouillés. Voyez, ces oiseaux blancs et ces maisons rouillées. La mer les a bercés le long des golfes clairs et d'une chanson d'amour. La mer a bercé mon cœur. Pour la vie, la mer qu'on va danser le long des golfes clairs, à des reflets d'argent, la mer des reflets changeants sous la pluie, la mer. Au ciel d'été, confond ces blancs moutons avec les anges si purs, la mer bergère d'azur infinie. Voyez, près des étangs, ces grands roseaux mouillés. Ces oiseaux blancs et ces maisons rouillées, la mer les a bercés le long des golfes clairs et d'une chanson d'amour la mer a bercé mon cœur. Pour la vie